Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Innovate Nashville. Uh, today, we have Drew D'Agostino on the call with us. Drew is the founder and CEO of a uh, little well-known startup here in Nashville called Crystal, otherwise known as Crystal Nose. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking with Drew a lot about machine learning, uh, probably some neural networks, uh, some really cool stuff. Uh, Drew, uh, I'd love for you to give us an introduction and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what Crystal's doing. And uh, I don't know if you want to share some companies you guys have worked with, or uh, perhaps I, I know you've been featured in you know, uh, Daily Dot, Fast Company, Fortune, you know, to just name a few. Uh, kind of give us the uh, the rollout. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. Uh, so, yeah, Crystal is, uh, of course, a product that can tell you anyone's personality and help you communicate better with them. Um, so we've been around for a little under three years. We, um, at the core, have a large database of personality profiles that you can use when you're um, emailing people or using LinkedIn or any other, um, you know, a lot of other communication products like Salesforce where sales reps and recruiters are reaching out to people regularly. So that's what Crystal is at the core, and we have um, a few products that we sell to you know, teams and individuals at big companies. And um, yeah, so like kind of, kind of as you mentioned, it's gotten a little bit of attention and we have uh, several, um, a couple thousand customers from everywhere from like small individual startups to large Fortune 500 companies using the product. So a little bit of background on where we are. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, to say, being able to give a personality on anyone. I mean, that, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm sure you get asked, you know, how are you doing it? You know, wh what does that even look like? Uh, maybe kind of walk us through the, the initial concept. Uh, you know, I, I've heard this story before. I think it's a really fascinating one. You know, just how you kind of stumbled on this idea. Yeah, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a single idea, really. I was um, trying to figure out for machine learning and natural language processing myself, just because it was, I uh, was, I was, knew I wanted to start a new company. This was in 2014. And I was, at the time, also working with DIFF, which is a kind of like a personality type like Myers-Briggs, except it's more of a behavioral model that he's um, in business. So I was using that profile, which types people according to these four major personality traits and Everyone has a mix of the four. And based on that, you can tell a lot about what somebody, how somebody communicates, how they like to work, what they're motivated by. And it's, pretty, so it's a pretty surface-level idea of you know, how you can interact, expect to interact with someone. Um, so I kind of just had the, the idea and the hypothesis that I could detect that without having to fill out an actual assessment. Um, and to do that, I just went to the sources where I could find things that people had written. So at first, just reading it to try to glean from it what kind of disk type they were, and then ultimately trying to automate that and look for certain words, phrases that people use commonly, and then eventually started using more advanced machine learning techniques to find, um, to find the profile that they were. So after a few months of working on that, eventually came up with an algorithm that was about 83, 84, 80 to 85% accurate, depending on how we're measuring it. Um, and by that, I mean about four out of five times we could successfully guess someone's disk type. Um, so that, wow. you know, that, that varies depending on how much data we have and how high quality the data is. But 
Um, it all and it kind of all stemmed from that initial you know, that initial experiment of you know scanning someone's like LinkedIn profile or their resume and trying to uncover the patterns that signal the particular personality. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, thinking about the thought process, you know, back then. Uh, you know, trying to think back that far, I'm sure it's difficult. But uh, regardless, thinking back, I mean, whenever you ship that first, uh, you know, code or that product, you know, how how different has Crystal evolved uh, over the over the years? Back from that initial code, I mean, we so it started just as a website, so somebody could go to Crystal and look themselves up, and if we had found a few profiles of them from like social media and blogs and other sources online. We'd create a profile for them and they could find out what Crystal thought of them. So that was the initial product and that's what kind of took off because it was um, so just a really fun experience. And then eventually we started applying it more for business use cases. Starting with Gmail, we had this Chrome extension that um, essentially just worked like a spell check for your spell check for your tone and your style according to the personality of the recipient. And then uh, express that extension out to LinkedIn and, and Salesforce and um, now integrate with other products like HubSpot where you can pretty much get personality data in any situation where you'd want to communicate with someone for the first time. So it's expanded, in, it's expanded a lot in the amount of platforms that the data is accessible. But of course, it remains you know, kind of the same thing, um, just that accurate set of personality data. Right. Wow. And you, you you mentioned the word experiment. Uh, yeah, I've heard some people starting companies that you know come out like they, they often use the word like disprove. I tried disproving an idea, or you know I tried experimenting. So, um, would you feel like that's like the key? Yeah, let's say, I mean, a lot of our listeners are you know potentially looking at starting a startup or just wanting to learn more about you know just business in general. Would you say that that is I mean, how, how you essentially do it, if there is a, an actual, I don't know, algorithm for it, if, if you will? Well, experimentation is certainly a, it's a really big, it's an important and necessary part of it. Um, I mean, there are a few people that have gotten lucky and have stumbled into something that was immediately a big hit. Um, I think that's pretty rare, but it can happen. Um, also, if, you've been, if you're somebody that's been working in an industry for 20 or 30 years and you have identified a specific problem that you want to solve and you know everything about it, you're probably going to have a much higher rate of success versus somebody that was just stumbling into the industry for the first time. They would need to experiment a lot more than you. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of caveats to that. Um, but yeah, I think startups are overall kind of an evolutionary process where most of the ideas and most of the products fail. And that's just naturally part of how it works. Um, and ultimately the, the ones that, have true market fit that actually you know deliver value to people. Um, those are the ones that ultimately can develop a, a solid business model and then stand the test of time. So you only get there by experimenting. How much you need to experiment really depends on how well you know your market. But yeah, it's a huge part of it and it's a big part of our strategy. Right, right. Um, you know, shipping code and you know with those experiments, you know the the process. I mean, you have end users at the end of the day. Um, you know, is there like a recipe for success around, you know, just testing in a uh, in a clear environment, open space, you know, that that they would, 
you know, that you you would value feedback, right? Like uh, whenever you ship to these users, uh, what what is their experience like? You mean about feedback and how we collect it? Yeah, I mean, just around that. Uh, yeah, I, I think what I'm trying to gather is just how important is that feedback, uh, you know, because you iterate and iterate and then you ship and ship, right? So based off that feedback, I mean, kind of walk us through that process. Sure. So we have a lot of different points in our product where our customers can um, give us either direct feedback or, you know, more indirect feedback where they, they do something. And they're not, that doesn't mean they're sending us an email, but we, you know, track pretty extensively how people are using the product, how they're converting, what they're, um, you know, what they're actually doing day to day. So uh, a lot of the most valuable feedback comes in the form of just usage data. See, you know, what people are clicking on, how many people are coming back at week two, week three, week four, um, all that kind of stuff. We put that together with the actual qualitative feedback. And those are emails we get. We tend to send out a lot of emails every step of the way when somebody signs up for our product. And it'll just ask general questions. It'll help them use the product better. We get responses to them. So the people that respond to those are generally giving us ideas or complaining about something. or they, Generally, they'll tell us something we need to address or they'd like us to address. And for every one person that actually takes the time to send an email, there's probably 10 people that have that same, um, that same need and they're just not going out and taking the step and sending an email. So we get feedback from you know, those direct emails as well as um, surveys that we send out. When people cancel their accounts, we ask them to fill out a survey. When people reactivate their accounts, we ask them to fill out a survey. Um, so we, all of those things just create this feedback funnel. And then ultimately we're trying to build a feedback loop to turn, so it's not just like reading feedback for the sake of reading feedback, but passing that feedback directly into our products so the product keeps getting better. Um, so the goal of the feedback is a successful feedback loop. Otherwise, it's kind of just vain, either compliments or complaints or recommendations if you don't do anything about it. Wow. And you have a, like, super talented team. Um, I mean, thinking about the value that they bring and, you know, the, the talent and skills, where does that play in? Uh, obviously, you have to have talent at, at every stage, right? Like, how's the evolution of, of the product kind of fit in with the talent that you've brought on? That's a good question. I mean, it's pretty well known at this point, it's kind of a trite statement that a business is ultimately just people and hiring is not important thing a founder can do. So I guess there's, um, but at the same time, there's, you can't just say, I'm going to only settle, I'm only going to get the best people at my company because as a, as a startup, you don't have those kind of resources. You don't have that kind of authority to actually command you know, that level of person every single time. So um, I think there's, there's, a, there's really something to be said for um, hiring patiently, but at the same time with a sense of urgency, meaning like there's a, there's a threshold that you need to cross if you, if you cross that threshold, you should just make the decision as opposed to always trying to optimize because you might be optimizing for no real reason. Um, I find that especially on the engineering side, it's really important to, for us at least, it's, it's important to build out the initial product with um, senior and developer talent 
just because I, it's, it's a pretty technical problem we're solving. So this isn't a, a, an app that you can build a foundation for from you know, a simple, uh, a really simple Rails app. There's a lot of machine learning and different microservices involved that it, to build it out in a way that scales, we need somebody that has built systems like that before. So I've seen a lot of companies make the mistake of, of hiring too junior on the engineering side too early, and that leaves them with a lot of technical debt and overhead that they need to take care of down the line. And in the worst case scenario, it could actually kill the product. Um, so that's, that's just one nugget specific to our business. Um, yeah, but overall, I mean, it, it, there is um, there's a lot of ideas and advice out there on hiring. It's all it's all very situational, but um, I think it kind of boils down to people being in the right seats, being able to have universal trust in each other. Um, because in a startup, you really don't have time to micromanage things. You need to have a high level of trust and just know that people are going to make decisions on behalf of the company that are in, you know, everyone's best interest. Um, yeah, and then just have a really good, just a really good feeling for people's strengths and um, not be afraid to, you know, call out, um, call out or bring up conflicts when it needs to needs to be brought up. So. There's a lot. There's a whole lot of that question, but those are the immediate thoughts that come to mind. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, heavy question, but uh, I found some uh, a lot of value out of your answers. So thank you. Um, yeah, you actually have an interesting team. So there's there's headquarters right here in Nashville, right, and then uh, you have some remote individuals as well, and yeah, there's been some uh, consultants here and there. Um, you know, I mentioned that it's an interesting dynamic because you have this virtual environment, this remote environment. Um, and I don't know if you have any comments around that or just uh, if you if you believe that that's allowed you to be more agile or, um, you know, because a lot of companies you, you're seeing pop up, they, they either fully believe in the remote, uh, you know, kind of methodology or, or they're just kind of remaining in the, uh, you know, concrete, uh, you know, I, I need a headquarters, everyone in one place. So you you have this dynamic, uh, you know, model. Kind of talk through that, if you will. Yeah, it's well. We started we started out remote, really just out of necessity. Um, the first two employees both were not in the same city. Um, I I was down in Nashville. Our head of technology was up in Boston, and uh, our head of growth was up in Maine. Since then, have technology moved to Seattle, um, and we have just been at the core of remote teams. Um, now, I've hired more in Nashville now, so we're mostly in Nashville at this point. Uh, but we still function as a remote team, and by that I mean you know, the office is kind of a place where we can go, but it's not like it has to be there at specific times. Um, every meeting we have is over video hangout. Even if a bunch of people are in the office, um, we do all of our day-to-day -day communication in Slack. Uh, we use Google Docs and the cloud wherever we've got something, you know, we need to share something. So it, we, it really doesn't even matter that a lot of people are in the same room. Um, that's definitely got some, you know, disadvantages, but I think they're overwhelmingly, um, they, they, they're overwhelmingly outweighed by the advantages. Uh, I mean, some of the disadvantages are, you know, it, it takes time and money to get people together, and I think face-to-face -face relationships are important. So we try to have... Uh, a quarterly meetup. Everyone comes down to Nashville. 
and you've got to buy plane tickets to that. You've got to get accommodations. So it's an investment, but it's, it's really important for those relationships to build. And then, you know, there's just things that come up, like you're dependent on people's Wi-Fi. <laughs> you have a good meeting at time. Um, so if, somebody's, if somebody is, uh, you know, traveling or, or something like that, it, it, gets, it gets kind of dicey to plan things. Um, but other than that, and there's the admin work that comes with having people in multiple states. But other than that, there's just there's so many benefits to it. I mean, when you, when you're not in the same place working, you really only see results. You know, you can only see at the end of the day what somebody has produced. And it's easy to say that at a company like we value results. But if you're working in the same room, you're automatically biased by your own eyes because you can see who's there physically, who looks like they're working hard, who came in early, who left late. And you're ultimately measuring success by these proxies that may or may not be accurate with their, you know, to uh, indicate whether somebody's performing well and producing. In remote, on the other hand, like literally all you can see is what somebody, how somebody communicates and what they've actually done. So if they're an engineer, you only see what they built. If they're in sales, you only see what they've sold. Um, that's really valuable because it makes every conversation really objective. There's not all that much... Um, drama or emotion that gets in the way of it. You can look at things from the same side of the table a lot more easily. So um, that's one benefit. Another benefit is just it it's breeds a lot of trust. Because if you know, when a team of employees senses that um, leadership trusts them and treats them like an adult, you know, saying, hey, you know, you, you have a job. We trust that you're going to get it done. And as a result, we're going to treat you, you know, as, as an adult. So if you need to be out of the office and you need to work from home, it's better for you. Right. If working in the office regular hours works great for you, okay, cool. Um, ultimately, it's, send, it's sending a message of trust in the team. Um, and then I find that trust is often reciprocated. Because when it, because yeah, then in turn, um, if somebody feels like they are trusted and treated as an adult, they're going to act that way and they're going to um, respond accordingly. Um, so I just find that it leads to a very mature, very low drama, um, results-oriented environment where people like, can also have their lives outside of work and it, it caters that well and they don't need to spend two hours a day on the road. So it's a lot of benefits to it. I keep going on that all day. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I like that you said that you guys operate as a uh, remote team regardless of who's in the office, right? Like having the, the Google Hangout meetings and, you know, everyone's in the office but on the same meeting. And that's primarily, right, to accommodate with uh, those people that are remote. Uh, so mm -hmm. awesome culture. Um, you, you mentioned Boston to Nashville, some Maine. Uh, I'm curious, like, what what, what made you – uh, set up shop here in Nashville. Uh, that's one of the main things we want to talk about is, uh, I mean, innovate Nashville. We're, we're trying to uh, kind of tagline Nashville as one of the uh, the hubs and the up-and-coming up hubs. So uh, obviously, Crystal doing great things. You know, what what made you uh, appeal to Nashville? Oh, well, I moved to Nashville because I met a girl here. So nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, but I ended up staying. The relationship didn't work out, but um, Nashville did. I just think it's a great place to live, and great places. I, I see no reason why a great place to live cannot be a great place to have a business. So 
we don't have all the the anchor tech companies of the, uh, the San Francisco or Silicon Valley or New York or Boston, but we have the right ingredients here for a very strong tech hub, and I think we're we're trying to be part of that. Um, there's the right mix of you know there's a lot of young people, young families here who want to plant roots and really build their careers in Nashville. Um, a lot of graduates that come from either Vanderbilt or the surrounding southern schools. Um, it tends, it, I mean, Nashville is a magnet for those. And a ton of big healthcare companies and enterprise businesses with people that have enterprise-level skills, um, but not necessarily startup-level opportunities. So I think the Nashville is very fertile ground for a real tech hub and startup company hub. That right now it's, it's pretty small, but I think over the next five to ten years, there's a real opportunity to expand it to, um, you know, it probably, I don't think it's ever going to eclipse those larger, those larger cities, but probably be like solidly in the second tier. Um, you know, to, yeah, like I guess that's what it is, you call it a hub, um, where it's like a, it's, it's an alternative and a very viable alternative place to start a company for probably half the price that you have to start it in San Francisco and for much higher quality, much higher loyalty talent. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic place to start a business and something you can catch on the up and coming. Yeah. Now, do you feel like, I mean, has that played a, an advantage or like a disadvantage? I, I know you, you guys are what, uh, you had a successful series A, so whenever it comes to funding and appealing to you know maybe investors from a startup perspective, uh, I don't know. Does that is it an advantage or disadvantage? I think if you're somebody who doesn't already have existing connections in like the Bay Area or in the Northeast, it certainly puts you at a disadvantage. Um, the investors there still definitely think in terms of geography, even if it is not 100% rational. Um, if you and an identical company are down the block from them, the, the company down the block from them is going to get the funding. Um, so that is definitely an issue. So we raised, we didn't raise any money from Nashville. We raised all our money elsewhere and brought it here. Um, I think what this place needs is a real booming success, like a, a big success story um, that can become an anchor company. And once that anchor company is, is really established, that spawns, you know, people that also want to invest in the area. It brings a whole bunch of talent to market. Brings angel investors to the to the market. Um, just a lot of general momentum. So, I think that's what Nashville. That's that's what Nashville needs. Awesome. Yeah, and perfect transition point. I mean, thinking about this space, you know, just literally instead of figuratively. Figuratively, what what are you most excited about? Uh, you know, coming out of Nashville. Obviously, you're doing amazing things. Uh, you know, are there other companies popping up that you're just kind of like, oh, uh, I, I can roll with them, you know, because they're 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 my kind, right? Yeah. Um, good question. On the largest side, I mean, I'm a huge fan of digital reasoning. Um, they just do incredible work and very meaningful work, just in the spaces that they do, like government and healthcare and uh, law enforcement. Um, I think. The, the products that they've put out take take machine learning and AI, and instead of using it to get people to click more ads, they're using it to like save 
sex trafficking victims and um, find terrorism and track down bank fraud. I mean, it's really like meaningful, big problems. So I love what they do. Um, I admire them a lot. There's a bunch of little tiny companies that are just starting here. And I think it's kind of a wave of them coming that um, I'm really looking forward to. Um, company, mainly, just got started here. Good friends of mine, they, are, they just launched their product like last month, and they're going to get a ton of traction in the uh, freelance invoicing industry. Um, I think the others that stick out to me. Oh, there's, there's, there's others I wasn't really thinking of them before, so not coming to the top of mind. But I, sure, I, sure. I think I think this, there's certainly a way. And then you've got all the healthcare stuff, of course, which I'm not yeah. really close to. So Enly, I-N-L-Y, and then digital reasoning. Those are some cool things happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Machine learning, you know, neural networks, all, all that cool stuff in your space. Is there anything just coming up that's you know, kind of keeping you uh, trying to stay uh, agile with your own company? We don't really focus too much on the, um, you know, I guess you'd call the, the emerging technologies. Uh, it's really easy to get caught up in that. There's, there's, there's like a new, uh, there's new products launched like every month and new platforms right. for doing machine learning. Like when they have fast text and then AWS launches a new thing and, um, and Google open sources something, and then they, it, it happens very quickly. So if you, if you stay tied to the technology itself, you're going to wind up in chaos. Um, I try to just stay really close to the market and what our customers are saying and think about like, what are their problems, how we can solve them better, uh, and then back into the technology that we need rather than start with the technology. Um, because it's super, super easy to get caught up in um, being a technology-driven company instead of being a product or customer-driven company. So that's that's. That's how I try to stay focused. <laughs> that was some good word. Uh, that was really good. That, um, cool. cool. Uh, I think this is a good opportunity to kind of close it off. One thing that we, I personally love doing is just to instill organic growth and keep uh, you know, great companies top of mind. We, we always like to ask, and you can feel free to uh, you know, text or email this over, but who would you recommend I, I, I talk to next? You know, just innovate Nashville. You know, wanting to understand the, the cool companies out of Nashville. Um, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please talk to the Inley guys. They'd yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll reach out and see if I can have them on. And uh, Well, cool. Um, this has been great. Uh, again, Drew D'Agostino. Drew, if we wanted to learn more about Crystal or, or yourself, where would we find that? Uh, Crystalnote.com. Or just Google my name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a pretty prolific uh, LinkedIn uh, profile. So, um, well, cool. Well, Drew, have a great rest of your day, and uh, thanks to all our listeners. All right, cool. See you later, Patrick. Thanks.